Nice to see everybody out this morning. I uh, don't know if it's psychological or what it is, but the, the weather seems to have changed and it it uh, brightens my day. Beautiful day this morning out there feeding cows. I think we last had the the thermometer at zero on the 31st of January and it, and it reached zero yesterday at our place. So we had a, quite a run of, of that winter weather. For our text this morning, <clears throat> I'll read from a little bit of chapter 9 and then some in chapter 10 of, of Romans. Romans 9, 29 to uh, about 10, 10. I'll read these words in Jesus' name. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of the Sabbath hath left us a seed, he had been, we had been as Sodom and been made, unto, made like unto Gomorrah. What shall we say then, that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is, of, which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Amen. Greetings of grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be multiplied to each one gathered here this morning, now and forever. Amen. This deals with the, the age-old problem we have. I don't think anybody's foreign to it that we, we with our natural thinking and understanding, would like, a, like to figure, figure out this word of God, and we'd like to figure out a way to, to reach heaven. And we know that that isn't possible. Beth and I were talking, talking just about uh, evolution and and uh, well, the age of the world or whatever. Yesterday or yeah, I think it was yesterday. Anyways, I said the, the problem with the problem I have, and I and I don't want to, I don't want anyone to get the idea that I, I I don't believe in creation. I certainly do. But when we look at this world around us, with with our natural understandings and thinkings, we, we, there's, there's no way we can figure out anything. We, we can't figure out why there's, why there's uh, fossils of tropical plants in the high Arctic, or I think I read one time that there's redwood stumps on one of those islands a few hundred miles from the North Pole. Something has happened, and, and men try and figure these things out, and, and I do. I, I'm no different, and we try and figure out what's happened. 
what's what's put this world together and what it, what has shaken this world obviously something has happened and we I guess we go to the flood and we go to the scriptures and it looks like the world is about 6,000 years old and and I don't mean it in a in a condescending way but we blame a lot of things on the flood that have taken place how, how things have gotten shifted I I don't know if it's worth going into but I I drive over this hill here many times in a year and, and uh, if you look at those clay banks there's a, there's a white line in them and, and you see that all over the place and we made a trip to Alaska quite a few years ago in there and and driving along where they've where they've cut the road through these big hills there's a, there's that white line there and I don't know if it's the same white line as we have but I actually well we as we were driving along and seeing this over and over again I, I decided I'm going to stop and and there were these little kind of gophers or something that that dug into that white powder. The line was a couple inches thick. And they found it easy digging, so they went in there and made their nest. So there was a great big pile of this white powder outside on the ground where the bank came down to the road. The road builders had cut the bank away. And I understand that as far as we can figure out, there's been a volcano in Mexico hundreds, thousands of years ago and that white powder is all over the continent. But it might be under a foot of clay, and it might be under six or eight feet of clay or ten feet. I don't know how deep it is in places. And then they say that then they say that clay, well, these experts, which I, I don't believe, they say that clay is a is a process that takes place when you rub two rocks together and you get this dust coming out of it. Well, to have 40 feet of clay, it would take how many hundred million years to, and, and what's rubbed all these rocks together. So I, ha- I have all these things. <laughs> Not sure why I went into that. I wasn't planning on it. But this, this idea that our natural minds come up with things, and this word comes up with different things. And, like I said to Beth, Beth the, heart, the hardest part of, of believing in creation is that we, we have to believe it by faith. We don't have a lot of facts on hand. Men put together a lot of facts in, in the evolution theory, and, and that's all it is, is a theory or an idea or trying to figure out how many rocks had to rub together to make 50 feet of clay build up here and there on earth all over the place so we believe this word by faith God gives faith this this first verse and into these first verses I read it says Isaiah said before except the Lord of the Sabbath hath left us a seed we had we had been as Sodom and been made unto like unto Gomorrah unless God enlightens us with his word and with his wisdom and understanding we're going to go the way of Sodom and Gomorrah that's what that's what Isaiah says there that we have no hope of anything more than the pleasures and the joys and the trials, temptations, sorrows of this world. And then we die and we have no hope of eternity in, in a heaven, in a, in a place of bliss and beauty that the scriptures speak about. We read that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed 
largely because, well, because of unbelief, but largely because of of the homosexual garbage, I'll just say, that was going on there. And the cities were steeped in that. And it says that Lot was was vexed by all that was around him. And we know how he left and those cities were destroyed. Destroyed with fire and brimstone, which is which is burning and melting sulfur. Most terrible, acrid smell and, and violent heat. Cities were destroyed with that. There's a few people got out of those cities. So without, without enlightenment from above, it seems like it seems like man has that knowledge and understanding. Even even heathen tribes have some kind of knowledge of of a a greater being, a god of some kind, and they try to reach him in any number of ways. We've been given this word. We've been given enough understanding of this word that we regard it as as a hallowed word, a holy word, a a word that will lead us in the right direction. But we know that even countless people take this word and look at it without enlightenment from above. And they try to work out their way of salvation. And Paul, who writes this, speaks of his own experience there. A couple chapters back. What shall I say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. The harder he tried to attain something through obeying those commandments, the further and further he got away from God until Jesus confronts him on the way to Damascus and asks him, why are you persecuting me? He thought he was in a good place. He thought he had attained righteousness. And he says there, he, he recalls his past life and says that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. No one, no one could best him in, in his understandings, in his work, in his zeal, ambition. But he says that that law that was ordained unto life, meaning that if we could accomplish or fulfill those commandments and live rightly. That's what righteousness is. Here it speaks of this. It uses this word righteousness. To do things right. To understand rightly. To operate rightly. So so Paul has a he has a heavy burden on his heart for for his own people, the Jews. And, and I believe he and Moses said similar things about this, that they would, they would be ready to give up their salvation and their relationship with God if it would bring their kinsmen in. But God says, I, I, I choose who I choose. Don't worry about that. Here, here in the first of, of the ninth chapter, it says, 
I say, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises whose fathers and of whom as concerning the the flesh Christ came who is over all God blessed forever amen so he has a, he has this heaviness and this concern for the these Jewish people we know that Paul and and was it Peter that brought the message to to Cornelius and he fought that he wasn't going to be mixing with these people these Gentiles and he was shown that yes go ahead and bring them the gospel go bring them the truth and and we know that then in Jesus time the Jews as a nation rejected Jesus and this is right after that and we know that for 2,000 years and, and some that the Jews are still looking for a Messiah, a Redeemer, a Savior. I believe some of them are finding him at this point in history. But this is the, this is the time when, when the gift is being taken away from the Israelites. And it's being given to the Gentiles. What shall we say then that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness. All all these things that I I just read here that, that the Israelites have been given, somehow they're not being blessed by these things. God God is handed all these things to his to his chosen people the Israelites the Jews and they rejected it they rejected Jesus Israel followed after the law of righteousness and they haven't attained to the law of righteousness they, they were the the Pharisees of whom of whom Paul was, was part of that. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Jesus is the stumbling stone. Jesus is everything to the child of God. But because these people rejected Jesus and because they didn't understand what was happening when he came to this world they didn't recognize him as a savior it says they stumbled at him it says as it is written behold I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense and whosoever whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed Jesus is that rock of offense to the unbeliever Jesus is the rock of offense to, to anyone who has rejected him or rejected his calling and here we we see then in the the 10th chapter starts this this burden that he has for the Israel Israelites brethren my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God but not not according to knowledge They, they have some kind of an ambition for God and we, and we know the Pharisees were that way. They, they, Jesus got after them. He said, you're, you're like whited sepulchers. You look white and glistening and fine and clean on the outside. And on the inside, you're rotten. Full of dead men's bones, he says. Clean the cup on the inside. It says they're ignorant of the righteousness of God. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They've done it 
in their own understanding, in their own zeal, in their own power. And we know that men are that way. We, we see that in, in faith all over the world. There's, there's people that, well, we think of these old patriarchs with a long beard and, and they have some kind of book in front of them, not this word of God. Or if it is the scriptures, they don't understand it. And people flock to them. People, people want to know what, what about this and what about that. And they, they are, are called gurus and, and they give them their understanding and, and we know that this word is not uplifting and glorifying in the people's lives. And people live and die in these situations. They've gone about, it says they, they're ignorant of God's righteousness. I believe he's talking about the, the Pharisees sect here. Ignorant of God's righteousness. They go about to establish their own righteousness. They maybe get together and discuss and study and do all these things and come up, come up with answers. People can come up with their own answers. And this word has virtually no effect on on their lives. They might look pious and they might they might look like some kind of a wise old man or whatever. And they're 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 in this place where Paul is speaking of. And he walked that road for a number of years himself. That it says they have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. I was talking to an old fellow here recently and, and we were talking politics a little bit and, and I was using the term the left and the right and he says, what, what is this? What is this left and right? You know, people use this term and I should have confessed my faith a little more but I, 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 I just said, well, you know, the, the right-wing parties have this philosophy and the left-wing parties have that philosophy but we know that it comes from the Word of God. This, this term. When Jesus, in the parable of the, the sheep and the goats, he separates the sheep, which are pictured as the children of God, and believing people. He puts them on the right. And the goats he puts on the left. They're, they're pictured as, as unbelieving people. So, so we, we use this term, and I, I'm sure there's countless millions of people across the earth that use this term left and right and they don't know that it comes from the scriptures. They don't know that it's Jesus' own words and own teachings. It's, it's the very foundation of that. It says they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God or that which is right. This old fellow says that uh, well, the people on the right, do they, do they think that they're, they're always right and nobody else is? And so I, I kind of just tried to explain to him about political parties a little bit. I know about them, but so so he's got this understanding that people on the right think they're right, but we also know that the people on the left think they're right. So we can't we can't go by that. Here it says the pe- these people have not submitted themselves. They're they're ignorant of God's righteousness. They go about establishing their own righteousness, which we know that when we stand before Jesus, it's not going to be enough. Our own righteousness. We, we hear things like, well, I've, I've been a, a good provider for my family and I've worked hard and, and I have good kids and I have this and that. And this is, this is supposed to stand on judgment day. There's only one thing that will stand on Judgment Day that have we believed or have we not believed? Have we believed in the work that Jesus came here to perform and did perform and finished? We're, we're into the Lenten, Lenten season now where we're coming up to Easter the whole story of, of the gospel. The whole story of how Jesus came into this world. 
we have Christmas a couple of months behind us when he came into this world. We have Easter a month or so ahead of us when he left this world. He accomplished a work. He was sent here to, to do this work and he accomplished it and he finished that work. This, this is what we have to believe. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says in the, in the story of the, the, good, the good shepherd and, and coming in through the door. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am, no, and am known of mine as my father knoweth me. Even so, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the work that Jesus came here to accomplish with, without some enlightenment from the scriptures, we have no idea what he's talking about. The disciples didn't have any idea what he was talking about. That he was going to lay down his life and that he, that he would arise again. And he said about the temple, that destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Well, it's taken 46 years for this temple to go up. How are you going to destroy it and raise it in three days? He spoke of the temple that he was. That was him. It was. It was. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Was the temple. Other sheep and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. We know that Jesus says that he never did anything or spoke anything that was not a direct, uh, what we say, an order from his heavenly Father. He showed that kind of obedience. So we see this this idea that we struggle with this law. We struggle with this finding righteousness outside of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We go to we go about to establish our own righteousness. We haven't submitted to the righteousness of of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Paul found that out on the way to Damascus. He found out that that he was persecuting Jesus. Saul, Saul, why, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Saul had, I believe, had some very shocking enlightenment. And I think mostly of, of when he stood there and gave his okay to the stoning of Stephen and Stephen cried out lay not this sin to their charge they don't know what they're doing don't hold them accountable for it same love that Jesus had on the cross they don't know what they're doing don't hold anyone accountable for this we know that he had to die. We know that he suffered for our sins. Each one of us. We don't stand around bemoaning this. But we look ahead to the risen Savior. Mary coming to the garden in the Easter story wanting to anoint Jesus in, you might say, a more complete way and a good way. And, and I'm sure as humbly as a person could be, their intentions were to embalm Jesus properly because it had been done in a kind of a fast way. What does the angel tell her? He's not here. He is risen. 
He's a risen Savior. He's a glorified Savior. As we see with the two disciples on the way to Emmaus. This third person just appears with them. Walking with them. Talking with them. Asks them why why are they so sad? Why are you walking along so sad? Well, don't you know the events that have happened? What things, he says. He knew exactly what had happened. He knew much more than they did. He was a risen Savior. Jesus started speaking of all kinds of things. Prophecies of the Old Testament that had spoken of him. Preparing the way for him. Telling all of us how it's going to be. He opened to them the scriptures. And they didn't realize it till later. But they said after he was sitting there and having something to eat with them. He broke bread before them and then he disappeared. This is, this is the risen Savior. He has the ability to do that. They said, did not, did not our hearts burn within us when they were walking on the way before they asked him to come in and spend the night with them? He brought to life something inside them. Some kind of a hopelessness that they had. They didn't, they didn't understand when they saw him suffering and dying They did not understand that this has to take place. Each one of us can say, for me. The old preacher Ray Hillman used to say, we can put our own name in there. I always found that encouraging. Put your own name in there. Jesus did it for me. He did it for these two disciples. He did it for Mary, who came there looking for his body. They didn't have that hope that he is risen. Death could not hold him. Pain could not hold him. Our sin could not hold him. The devil could not hold him. As I read there, he has the power to lay his life down. The Roman soldiers didn't. Yes, physically they put him to death by hanging him on that cross. But he gave up life for us. And he returned. He risen, powerful, life-giving, life-sustaining Savior. We believe he rose from the dead. I think Shane mentioned there at Bible study how other people have risen from the dead. And we can have a a physical explanation for it. Nowadays we have these fibrillators or whatever they call I'm not even familiar with that. But you pound on, on the man's chest and get his heart going and he comes back to life. I spoke, I spoke of that man in Klatskanai, Oregon, where Raiden's folks go to church there. And he had a heart attack during the middle of the service. And between a couple of our grandchildren and Raiden's brother, Jared, who's a huge man, helping, and they even say that their ribs break when they do this, pumping on this man's chest, he came back to life. Jesus came back to life, a glorified being. This man died eight eight days later. But I thought it was a kind of a heroic thing these young people did, but they they just stayed with it until the ambulance came. They brought him back to life. Not this type of life we speak of about Jesus, though. Jesus lives. He lives today, the song says. He walks with us and talks with us. Along life's narrow way. 
Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. We don't throw out the law, as some would like to do. Many, many would like to do that. They have, they have a problem with if, if someone's walking in some way that, for instance, myself, if I, if I talk to somebody about the way they're walking and their, the life they're leading, they right away think that the law is coming down on them. And here it says that the end, Christ is the end of the law, that we throw the law out then. We don't do that. We don't find righteousness through uh, living any kind of a perfect life by, by the dictates of the law, is what it's saying. But we live by faith. And then explain, it explains here so well what, what this faith entails. Moses describes the, the righteousness which is, of the, which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But Moses knew, even as well as you and I know, that nobody could fulfill those laws. We, we, we simply can't do it. The, as Paul says there, and I read how through the weakness of the flesh, We find ourselves struggling to find something out of living some kind of a perfect life. Man is capable of, of, we might say, quitting something if we have a bad habit or whatever it might be. Well, we can we can lay that aside and quit doing that. It doesn't make us righteous. It, it, it doesn't get us closer to God. There's nothing wrong if you have a bad habit. Some people might have, have a problem using bad language and, and cursing and u- using all kinds of expressions that may p- make people turn their head. We can stop doing that. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's a good thing. But it does not bring us closer to God. People's hearts are changed. People's lives are changed. People's direction are changed when we come to believe. First of all, we believe that we're sinners. We believe that Jesus came to do away with sin. He came to put an end to it in each of our lives. Not because we are such a strong personality and are so much in control that we can stop sinning. But He changes the will. He changes our will. He changes our hearts and our minds. We become righteousness. Righteous by, by believing in the righteousness and the good work that Jesus accomplished. Moses describes the righteousness which is of by faith. The man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith, did I say faith? He describes the righteousness which is of the law. I hope I said that rightly. The righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. So we have this understanding that that we want Christ in our lives. And we're going to go find him. So we're going to somehow bring him down from heaven. It says don't do that. That's not how it works. We're not capable of doing that. Jesus is in heaven. Speaking of Stephen, when he died, he says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
he saw, he had a little glimpse into heaven. All those people that were ready to snuff out his life by stoning him heard that. Powerful message. Jesus is in heaven. How do we how do we reach him? How do we find him? Do we do we somehow go up there and bring him back? Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. We can't bring him down from heaven. We know that when Jesus left this world, he said that he would send us a comforter. He was here to comfort when he was here, physically speaking. He says, when I leave, I will send a comforter. I will send the Holy Spirit. He's going to accomplish this work in you. He will be in you. He will be a part of your life. Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again, up again from the dead. Here again, we believe in, we, we might be able to believe in Christ, but we, we believe that he's, he's, he's dead. He didn't make it. On the one hand, we can believe that he went to heaven. We're going to go find him there, reach him, bring him back down to earth. Or he, he's died. And we're going to somehow bring him back from the dead. Who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ again from the, up again from the dead. But what saith it? What says faith? What does faith say? That's what it says here. What does faith say? The word is nigh thee. Jesus Christ is the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the word, the word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in, in the beginning with God. I believe the, John, the chapter of the uh, Gospel of John starts out. The Word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the Word of faith which we preach. What does it say there? I believe it's in the end of this same chapter here I was looking for how then shall they call on him who, whom they have not believed and how shall they believe of, in him who, of whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things God has sent people throughout the world. And we know that before the end of time, and maybe it's already happened, this, this word and this gospel, this Holy Spirit, this Lord Jesus Christ, which is all one and the same thing, will reach all parts of the earth. And there's places where it's reached, and they've rejected it, and they're living back in their heathen ways. We wonder how this can be. But it is so. Look all over the world. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't mean that if we cry out, Lord, Lord, Jesus himself says that we'll be saved. It means we follow this through. We find him. We find him in the hearts and lives of those that have been given faith to believe in, in his work, in his name. Jesus says that we, we are to... It, it, it's a great commission. Do these things in my name, he said. Maybe this isn't it. 
and Jesus comes through through the wall or the doors of this locked room. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were, assemb- were assembled, for the fear of the Jews came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he shewed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. They saw a risen Savior. They saw this Jesus who conquered all wrongdoing. Even their unbelief that they were gathered there behind locked doors because because of what the Jews might be doing to them. Jesus says to them, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, this is, this is a fulfillment of what he told Peter, that whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. Receive ye the Holy Ghost, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. This is the gospel message. This is, this is that that, I believe it's in Ephesians someplace, where it says that, that we are, we are ambassadors for Christ. We bring this word. If we're the ones seeking, we go to this word to find it. What saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. The scriptures speak of faith to faith, where, where faith moves from one to another through the we, we believe it's through the laying on of hands and the believing of the gospel that Jesus died and is risen again. And if there's something bothering you that is separating you from God, as I say, sin separates us from God. Speak of it. These things are forgiven. Believe these things are forgiven. And we do this in Jesus' name, as he said to do. We don't do it of our own strength and power. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. We believe in a risen Savior. And we can have joy in believing that. We can have joy in in believing that these old ways we can put behind us and we can believe in this risen Savior. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Remember Paul's conversion. Who art thou, Lord? He didn't really know Jesus. He knew about him. He had had some pretty, you might say, shocking experiences with Jesus. But he went, he went to Ananias. He was directed to go to Ananias. A man who didn't want to go through with this mission or whatever it was you might say that God asked him to do. They had both seen the other one in, in visions. Ananias says, I know about this man. He, he has authority to take my life because of my understanding and my belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. God just says, go. Don't, don't even think of those things. Just go. He's a chosen vessel. Ananias laid his hands on Saul and assured him that Jesus has died for your sins. Paul speaks of it later. He says all this happened so that his sins could be forgiven. It all happened for the remission of sins. Jesus suffering and dying and then the experience he had with him later. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What do, what do we see with Saul? 
It says immediately, the scales fell from his eyes. He had been blind for three days. He had to lead him into the city. It's a, it's a picture. It's a picture of when we, when we come into an enlightened state. We might, we might wonder how, how come you're enlightened and you can't see. It says here that these people have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. Paul did. He says, he says later on there, he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly calling. He was obedient to it. It was told him what he should do. And he did it. And he received his sight. And then it says, as I read here, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. He confessed the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a picture of the work that had been done in his heart. A completed work. Not his own work, but the work that our Lord and Savior had accomplished. He believed that. His confession then was the Lord Jesus Christ. This is my all in all. This is my Savior. This is my hope. This is what what is going to carry me from, from this life, which is often struggles and trials. It will carry me across to heaven's shore. And, and we know the confession that he left behind. We know the miles he put on. We know the, the struggles he had, the shipwrecks, all the things he went through. He kept on giving this confession to people. This is my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we close with the benediction? May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up his countenance unto us and give us everlasting peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you.